I'm Sarah. I'm an intern here. I hang out in Furvale most of the time. That's my kind of ministry stream. Um, am I really loud or is that just normal? Okay. So I don't have an introductory story like a good preacher always does, but I'd like you to think up a story or a situation in your life, basically. Um, so today we're going to be thinking about um, times when you felt bogged down by life or really overwhelmed. Um, and we're going to be opening the Bible and having a look at what um, Paul does. I love Acts so much. So when, when they didn't give me a Bible passage to preach on, I was like, right, I'm going to do the whole of Acts and I'm going to bless everyone in the room with my enthusiasm for Acts. But we're not going to do that. We'll just do one passage from Acts. But can you have a think right now? Just going to take a minute to have a think of a time when you felt either wrongly accused or misjudged or when a problem's become so big that you felt like paralyzed by fear or you've had like a, an insurmountable where are you God kind of trial, whether that's recently or in the past um, or, or a time when you felt, yeah, so bogged down that you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So hope you've got your little introductory story in your head. So our reaction to these, I'm going to just think about now. Psychologists often talk about whether we fight, flight, or fright. You might have heard that before. But um, I just wonder if your reaction to this situation that you've maybe got going on at the moment fits into any of these categories. Um, whether we, we fight, that's when sometimes when I receive negative feedback, I get really defensive I'll be moaning about it for weeks on end, get really angry or confrontational. And that's, that's a response to a negative situation that I summarize as fight. That's like getting angry, kind of self-justifying your reasons, whatever, backing yourself up. Or you might flight. That's where you run away. You might live out of denial or ignore it. So this happened to me recently when I just had a crazy overwhelming feeling of loneliness and I just for a whole day I was like I'm not going to I'm not going to like I just pretend I'm that's not a thing I'm absolutely fine and that's flight not cool either not a good response um and the third reaction that's also not always helpful is fright so this is like my reaction at the moment to this crazy big question mark of the future. What am I going to do next? So this is my reaction, is fright. It's like shutting down, crazy alarm bells, anxiety, passivity even is a, a frightened reaction. Um, or we become like immobilized by fear. And whatever your um, trial or your situation was that you thought of at the start, I wonder if any of your reactions fit into these categories. But in the Bible, in Acts, so many times they have crazy trials and their reactions could have been similar to any of mine, fight, flight, or fright. But actually the Bible points to a better way to respond to trials in life and a better way to frame our trials. Um, I'd love it if you could turn to Acts 16. Um, get your real Bibles out. Because then you can see the spoilers. You can jump ahead and see the end. 
Um, But I'm in Acts 16, I'm going from verse 23. But just to give some context, Paul's on his second missionary journey. He's in Philippi. He's just hung out with Lydia. um, And he's actually, he's walking around Philippi. He's cast out a demon who who was in his slave girl. She could tell the future. And this girl was like following him around the whole time for a couple of days. And Paul got really annoyed because people would have been thinking, is she the partner to them in the gospel sharing? She's yelling like, oh, these men are servants of the Most High. And it's true, but it's, it's annoying. So they um, say, get out, be gone, Jesus' name. But the people who had made money from this were really annoyed. And the profit motive often works against the gospel throughout Acts. So um, these owners, these slave owners got really angry and were like stirring up a crowd um, so we pick up from verse 23. They should appear on the screens behind me. So they actually just get flogged. Hear this. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they actually hadn't done anything wrong, but they, they were... It's illegal, basically, in the Roman world to flog someone and then put them in prison without a trial. There's no hearing, um, and that's really bad management of a crime, which wasn't even committed. And they're flogged, and they're guarded really carefully, as if they've done something really wrong. They're put in the inner cell, and it's, it's like, I would make me so indignant, bitter, and... I'd also be like terrified, but yelling at the magistrate is like, no, you've, you've got it wrong. You've misjudged this situation. Um, but they, they, they're not angry. They, they go along with it um, and they persevere and they're put in stocks, you know, like big metal chains around their feet. And it looks like there's no hope that they'd, I'd be super angry, but um, yeah, let's just look at their reaction. At the next verse, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So this is a huge perspective shift. They've got open wounds on their back. They've been flogged in the street, and and yet their response is to pray and to sing. And their cell is filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they had an audience, the... Other prisoners, you know how prisons are like really loud places often, but the other prisoners turn and listen to them and there's like an atmosphere shift and the spiritual atmosphere changes and the situation doesn't yet. But can I just pause quickly and turn to 1 Peter 2, 23, because this basically chimes true with Jesus as well and 1 Peter alludes to this as well. When they hold insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that's God. God's our ultimate judge. He, Paul and Silas and Jesus as well, they're like lay down their rights. They don't retaliate. And, and they look to God and they're switching their attention to to God and 
And yeah, in this, in this passage in Acts, the atmosphere changes. I'm going to read the next verse. This is my favorite. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Not just Paul and Silas's chains, but everyone's chains. It's so cool. So their worship, their posture of worship led to miraculous freedom. And there's a physical shift in the atmosphere as well as a spiritual shift. I'm going to read the next bit to the end. So 27 through 34 now. The jailer woke up. Had he been asleep? That's not a good jailer's job. Anyway, he woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in this house. At, the hour, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Isn't that an awesome turnaround of the situation? This jailer was suicidal. He had lost all hope and thought he was a complete failure. He's in the pit of despair. But Paul calls out to him, we're here. Paul's not, he's not viewing their freedom, their miraculous freedom, as a means of escape. But he sees it as an opportunity to witness. Paul assumes authority. He claims the situation for God and sees an opportunity in the midst of this trial. And he has just experienced a miracle, but there's like a big role reversal and he's not rushing off to celebrate. He's looking for the people in the situation. So look at this role reversal. A second ago, the jailer had the key. Sure, he was asleep, but he was in charge. And Paul and Silas were in chains but then the next moment after the earthquake the jailer is the one that falls trembling before Paul and Silas the jailer submits to them and washes their wounds and feeds them and their situation is completely turned around but Paul isn't rushing off he calls out we're here and the jailer is saved he sees this opportunity to witness and the jailer and his whole household are saved and this is the coolest, like, death-to-life moment. He goes from almost killing himself to finding deep spiritual joy. And that's just such an awesome encouragement for me to look at what God's doing now and not to be so bogged down in the fact that I've got crazy wounds, open wounds, or I've got a really overwhelming situation, or I'm in a metaphorical prison. But actually, let's turn our gaze to God and let's not wait for our situation to change, but kind of change our perspective on our situation. God, what are you doing here? They had really, really raw wounds, but God uses them in that place of hurting, in that place of, like, there, there, there was freedom, but they had to wait for that. And he uses them while they're still in chains to be a witness. Like, how do you think the jailer knows 
How, what must I do to be saved? How does he know that he's got to be saved? It's because they've been singing about it. They've been praying, Lord, you've saved us. You've saved us. Now the jailer knows what question to ask. Um, if you just want to pr- turn to um, Acts 4, um, verse, verse 29, it's a similar situation. Peter and John have just been before the Sanhedrin, which is like a religious center, basically, um, and the Sanhedrin are really angry that they have been speaking about Jesus and they want them to be quiet. So they threaten them and say, um, basically, shut up. Don't talk more about Jesus. But Peter and John's prayer and the disciples' prayer in verse 29 says, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They don't pray away the threats. They don't pray away the really difficult situation, but they pray for boldness. Isn't that so cool? I want to do that. I'm now going to turn to one more place, place in Acts. Bear with me. I love Acts. I'm gl- You'll probably be glad that I haven't. When I went to Alan with this talk, I had like a whistle-stop tour of Acts. I had my favorite 10 moments, and I was going to talk about all of them. And Alan was like, maybe just choose one or two. It's like, oh, are you sure? So this is my third and final point in Acts, but it's a similar theme. So I'm now going to read Acts 27, um, 33. So this is right at the end of Acts where... Um, Paul's experiencing another trial, classic Paul. There's so many things coming up against him. He's actually been a prisoner for two years now, um, and he's on his way to Rome, which is what Jesus promised, that he was going to get to Rome. Um, But he's a prisoner on a ship, and there's a huge, huge storm, uh, so much so that they think they're all going to die, and they've wrapped ropes around the boat to help it not fall apart. Um, but in, in verse 33, it says, I'm in Acts 27, 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and you've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take on some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke the bread and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And at the end of this chapter, all 276 of them are brought to safety And Paul, the night before, had been praying through the night. He'd seen an angel, and the angel encourages him, don't be afraid. But Paul's tenacity in the face of trial, he's praying through the night, and his tenacity pays off. And Paul gets an audience with all of the ship's um, crew and says to them, take courage, take on some sustenance, get yourself some food, and lighten your load." And that's his advice in the midst of this storm. And he encourages them, and that actually led to safety. But they turn to God with gratitude. They, um, they haven't seen daylight in two weeks. There's, there's so much cloud. That's what it's called. There's so much cloud that they, don't, they haven't seen daylight. And that's sometimes how it feels in our life as well, that there's no light at the end of the tunnel 
or that it's been really hard for so long. But Paul is praying and his encouragement is to, to turn to God and to be grateful. And they lighten their load. They throw off stuff that's not, that's not um, helpful. And he says, take courage. So my encouragement from both the, um, the prison story and from this storm is to not wait. Let's not wait for the storm to pass or until we're free from a metaphorical prison for God to move. God can move in our now. Let's not put off praising God or being real with him because he wants to meet us now. And he's got a fresh perspective for us today. I think it's really important that we acknowledge our trials and the, the hard things that we're facing at the moment. But it's also not like great not just to stay in that place of despair or heartache, but to turn to God and to fix our eyes on him. Go to him in the place of hardship and turn that difficulty into praise and gratitude as we hear the Father's encouragement and we hear his well done. So I'd love us now just to take a couple of minutes to be still before God and acknowledge any storms you might be facing or that other people might be facing. Um, but I'd love us to not wait there, not stay there, but to trust that he works all things for the good of those who love him. And to remember that we have a hope of eternal life in him. So why don't we just take a couple of minutes having to think about any difficulties going on. And then I'll pray for us. Thank you Jesus for this family, this church. That we get to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And thank you that you give us a fresh perspective on our situations. And that we get to turn to you and trust you that you have good plans for us in the midst of hardship in the midst of difficulties God you're with us and would you help us to turn our hearts into praise praise filled hearts and gratitude may that well up inside of us I pray that you would be with us as we face our storms and that we would take comfort from that and have our hope firmly rooted in you Amen.